hard-hitting medical truth, cutting through conflict and confusion to the understanding you're searching for. Join Dr. Peter McCullough, world-renowned medical expert and practicing physician for this edition of the McCullough Report. Your life may depend on it. Let's get real, let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report. Have a great show for you this week. I think you're going to love it. A lot of news from the World Council for Health. But first, let's hear treasure music from Emma Ohm. I recently met Emma on the road. Terrific young lady. I thought that the weight would be so heavy that they can't get out. Mama and Daddy stand at the sidelines while false prophets run their mouths. They are not for sale. Human life don't have a price. If we can't agree, we better ask the Lord to intercede. Cause if we stop the hate, we'll make the world much brighter Love on the vulnerable and tell them that they're fighters It's always the evil one who wants us all divided But together we are better and the world could be a treasure them feed us lies cause we're full of spite though it hides in plain sight everybody is silent but if we don't get united we're gonna lose the fight
That was fantastic. Wow. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Loud Talk Radio. You heard uh, the title of that piece was We Are the World 2022 by Emma Ohm. And what Emma wrote is an education should be a blessing. For many of our youth over the past two years, it was a curse. Schools should teach children how to think, not what to think. It should teach children that they are capable, valuable, and treasured. But instead, they taught children that they that they were germs uh, who at any moment could harm one another human being by simply breathing fresh air. Time to expose the false prophets and fight for the vulnerable. This is treasure. Uh, the concept was written and produced by Emma Ohm, and she gives credit to Rob Blair, Jeff uh, Yarborough, and Isaiah Cotton. And the song was written by Emma Ohm and produced by Mapolo. Uh, and Mapolo. And I can tell you, I give a lot of thanks to Eric Clapton, who um, who really encouraged me to start the music section of the McCullough Report. And I think it's been absolutely wonderful um, addition to what's going on uh, in this whole area of pandemic response and how we are trying to navigate our lives, how we're trying to deal with what my co-author says in my book, Courage to Face COVID-19, what John Leake says is a complex reality. How do we process a complex reality uh, in our minds in order to uh, understand what's going on and then navigate our, our way forward? Well, I have dedicated the backside to McCullough Report to Dr. Katarina Lindley, Kat Lindley. She's been introduced to the McCullough Report audience in the past. She's a practicing doctor here in Texas. She's originally from Croatia, uh, has five children. She's a, you know, obviously an active mother. Uh, she's faced health issues herself, a, a wonderful story. And she's taken a giant leadership role in the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons, now on the world stage with the World Council for Health. If any of you don't know what the World Council for Health is, go to the uh, worldcouncilforhealth.org and check out the website. It's in a yellow uh, background with pink letters and it provides tremendous evidence. I've recently used the work on the World Council for Health uh, to support some of my academic and professional uh, work in uh, written document format since it's so well cited. You can actually use it as evidence. And what we're going to discuss is a press release. Uh, Independent Pharmacovigilant Report confirms evidence for recall of COVID-19 vaccines. This was posted by the World Council for Health June 11th, 2022. And uh, the post was under the name of Dr. Uh, Katarina Lindley. And so you can, uh, you're gonna hear it from her herself. But the title of uh, the um, 
Uh, the report indicates that adverse reactions for novel COVID-19 vaccines are more numerous than similar products by a factor between 10 and 169 compared to other vaccines. And they focused on data from large databases. The biggest one is the World Health Organization Vigi Access Database, uh, the CDC VAERS system, the UDRA Vigilance System, and the UK Yellow Card Scheme. And these databases uh, are displayed in a series of figures you can see online. And they compare the COVID-19 vaccine to the tetanus vaccine, the MMR, and the polio vaccines. Most of us have had these. Our children have had them. And you can see the relationships between uh, COVID-19 safety events and those predicate items. Uh, clearly, the COVID-19 vaccines have surpassed all boundaries uh, of safety. And the World Council for Health is uh, boldly calling for them to be removed from the public use. No government anywhere in the world has done an analysis on these products, a safety analysis, or even expressed concerns regarding safety and indiscriminate public use. So in this oblivion to safety, it's clear that organizations in positions of authority must take charge. And that's exactly what the World Council for Health has done. And this report is unassailable. It's unassailable. Uh, they they um, uh, uh, point out some very important uh, est you know, established standards in this report. And so I want to read from a middle paragraph in the opening. It says, the purpose of pharmacovigilance databases is to provide a signal of safety, not to prove causality, to ensure that harms are detected in time, uh, suspicion that an event is linked to administration of the medicine or vaccine is enough to register an event. There's no need to prove that the medicine caused the adverse reaction, just the suspicion is good enough. Uh, Dr. J June Rain, the head of the UK Medicines and Healthcare Products Regulatory Agency, said that in 2006, when sufficient pharmacovigilance data show a signal of harm, administration of the product should be ceased, the product should be recalled, and the safety signal investigated. So we actually pull products off the market first, then do the safety evaluation, because we want to keep the public safe. You've just, you've known this because there's been recalls of cars when a switch doesn't work and a car could crash. There's a recall, safety recall on cars. It's happened with airplanes. Americans would uh, remember recently a whole series of airplanes that was flown by Southwest Airlines had to be uh, basically grounded until the planes were inspected to be sure they're safe. There have been uh, recalls of safety uh, pacemaker leads, other medications. And so it's important to understand that we have a culture of safety in terms of medications and vaccinations. And we must, as a public, ensure that our governments, federal agencies, employers, and school uh, organizations uh, follow and are fully compliant with that culture of safety. We can uh, advise or accept no less than putting safety first for uh, Americans and for the world uh, at large. So I give a great uh, credit to the World Council for Health. I think I will post this on uh, the McCullough Report website, this important press release, and then the pharmacovigilance re reports, which I've already downloaded and I have in 
uh, my files because I really need it. I, it's it's important to have an internally peer-reviewed, externally facing, unassailable document on safety. People keep asking me, Dr. McCullough, where can I go for evidence that the vaccines aren't safe? I, I'm going to tell you, I think this is the place to go. In it, it summarizes that there have been 3.5 million recorded and documented, accepted, validated vaccine injuries. 3.5 million worldwide and 40,000 deaths. And almost certainly that is the tip of the iceberg. The real numbers, including the ones that are not reported, must be substantially larger. The vaccine program worldwide, 16 vaccines in use or development, and importantly, uh, genetic vaccines used with a brand new technology. None of the vaccines appear uh, to be sufficiently safe. I reviewed the Novavax vaccine on the last report, and now we're aware of over a thousand Novavax uh, serious events emerging. It's not uh, widely used, but we're keeping a careful watch on this. None of the vaccines at this point in time have proven safety, and we demand that in order to move forward. We won't even discuss efficacy unless we have safety. Now, I want to bring a few citations in. Um, most of you know I'm meticulous in terms of quoting the science and the medical literature, both in my public appearances as a national TV and media commentator, as a practicing doctor, and as the host of the McCullough Report. Uh, the first paper I want to bring in is by Igho Onakapoa, uh, Carl Hennigan, and Jeffrey Aronson. And the title of the paper is Post-Marketing Withdrawal of 462 Medicinal Products Because of Adverse Drug Reactions, a Systematic Review of the World's Literature. And this was published in uh, BMC Medicine. And the reason why I bring it up is people have asked me, Dr. McCullough, you know, what is the standard? When are they going to pull these products off the market? And in this paper, uh, this was a, a scholarly uh, a work that was published in uh, 2012. And uh, what we've learned uh, of these products, 72% uh, uh, of the cases consisted of anecdotal reports, which we've talked about, uh, about uh, uh, 9.34% 9 uh, 9 of these products as a whole were withdrawn worldwide. 39% uh, were withdrawn in just one country. So withdrawal is not um, uniform across the world. Uh, importantly, some places uh, drugs are not pulled off the market quickly, Africa uh, being one of them. And so they, they pointed this out. But it's a pretty careful review. And... Um, and what we learned is that uh, the interval between the first adverse drug event and the product withdrawal uh, that is um, a given uh, ranges. And there's a figure five which shows the time frame. It can be as long as, honestly, as uh, a very, very long time, uh, uh, years. Uh, but most of the action occurs pretty quickly and uh, it looks like the time interval between detection of a problem and once something is pulled off the market has become quicker, probably because of information technology, certainly moving from 1950 forward to, um, to current times. And there's a, a figure there. It's interesting. They go back even to drug recalls 
as far back as 1750 moving forward. And so uh, no doubt about it, uh, we're getting quicker um, withdrawal. And the, the key in terms of speed of withdrawal is so more people are not harmed. With the COVID-19 vaccines, it's important because this comes up every six months. I mean, there is an opportunity to get out of harm's way pretty quickly if uh, we simply uh, decline the next uh, COVID vaccine on the basis of safety. And then the next paper is by the same researchers, and it was also published in BMC Medicine in 2015. And the title of that paper is Delays in Post-Marketing Withdrawal of Drugs to Which Deaths Have Been Attributed a Systematic Analysis. So here the topic is, well, wait a minute, people are dying, and the slowness to which we pull drugs off the market is playing a role. Now, they reviewed 95 drugs here where death was documented as a reason, reason, reason for withdrawal, 1950 to 2013. So the COVID vaccines are going to fall into this category where a principal reason for withdrawal will be death. Uh, all were withdrawn from at least one country. 16 remained on the market in some countries. Uh, withdrawals were more common in European countries. A uh, few, again, were recorded in Africa. Uh, the more recent the launch date, the sooner the deaths were reported. Uh, however, 47% of the time where a drug was pulled off the market, more than two years elapsed before the first report of a death and withdrawal of the drug. And the interval between the first report of death attributed to a medicinal product and the eventual withdrawal of the product has not improved over the last 60 years. So we're looking at two years. Remember Pfizer in the court-ordered release documents, uh, they knew about 1,223 deaths within 90 days of release of their product. And the Pfizer product was released, the Pfizer BioNTech vaccine, which resulted in these deaths, relatively immediate deaths. It was released onto the market in December of 2020. So we're right now in June of 2022. We're coming along. And so these two papers are important to give us some standards. We clearly need to get going. With uh, withdrawal of products, one of the biggest drivers is public pressure. We can't wait for the US FDA or medical schools or doctors or others to raise concern. The, the concern has to be raised by the public, it has to be raised in any type of public venue that can be garnered has to be raised in the exam, examining room when patients see physicians saying, listen, I am concerned. The World Council for Health report has 3.5 million injuries, 40,000 deaths worldwide after the vaccine. You know, this is certified. You don't have to go anywhere else. You can use the World Council for Health report, print it out, bring it into your doctor. Say, listen, I'm concerned. Doctor, I know you're telling me to take the vaccine, but review this report carefully. Uh, and a good way to put it is to say, I've reviewed it as a consumer, as a healthcare provider. These products are certainly not safe enough for me or safe enough for my family. I may have taken, taken it once or twice uh, because you know I needed to for my job or I, I you know, thought it was the right thing to do. But I've come to see now this report has come out June 11th, 2022. It's there. It's in writing. It's memorialized. They're not safe pull them off the market. You know, we had prior warnings. It was a French lab in March of 2021. They were the first ones. Then a paper by Bruno and colleagues in May of 2021. I was on that paper. Uh, they raised uh, concerns in that paper that uh, we didn't have the right safety monitoring mechanisms in place. Then we had 
the evidence-based consulting group that wrote the MHRA in the UK in June of 2021. That was Dr. Tess Lowry. Then in the fall of 2021, we had the World Council for Health, uh, of which Tess Lowry is a major leader, and Dr. Lindley, who I'll bring on in the second half. Uh, they messaged that the products uh, weren't safe and that we should pause them. We should actually just not remove them from the market, they pause. And now here we are in June 11th of 2022 saying just flat out pull them off the market pull these products off the market they are not safe none of them have demonstrated safety and basically the the floor has fallen out on efficacy we have seen now a complete failure of the vaccines uh, this is up on my twitter feed go to p underscore mccullough md uh, and it's only because the U.S. FDA pediatric meetings are going forward for having Moderna come out ages 6 to 11 in a reduced dose, and then having Pfizer and Moderna considered ages uh, uh, 6 months up to age 5 and 6 years, respectively. Uh, the advisory board panels, uh, not critically reviewing the data, are voting for approval but at the same time, we're having a complete lapse uh, in efficacy. And I wanted to bring your attention to a paper just published in uh, JAMA. The first author is Catherine Fleming Dutra, D-U-T-R-A. And the title of the paper is Association of Prior BNT162B2 COVID-19 Vaccination. That's the Pfizer vaccine with symptomatic SARS-CoV-2 infection in children and adolescents during the Omicron predominance. And I showed you figure two, which just lays it out. The vaccine efficacy, that is its ability to protect any type of occurrence of an infection, which is very mild in children. There's no hospitalizations and deaths, but even the vaccine uh, trying to attempt to um, reduce the occurrence of a stuffy nose in children, it completely failed within a matter of a month. Vaccine efficacy is down to 20%. It's essentially useless. Remember, if vaccine efficacy isn't far greater than 50%, and if it doesn't last for a year, it's not a viable vaccine. This doesn't even come out of the gate as being sufficient, and then within a month, it's completely useless. And so I do emphasize that in my analysis. The wheels have fallen off the pediatric program. The vaccines simply do not work in children. There's no reason uh, for parents or grandparents to expect the children to be vaccinated. There's no reason for parents to keep grandparents away from their children. I continue to hear that every day. I just heard that from a cardiologist, uh, a friend of mine in North Carolina, that his ill-advised uh, children are not allowing him and his wife, who are perfectly healthy and fine, to see their grandchildren. They need to read the data Vaccination is not going to help anyone here. We need to return to normal, treat people if they get sick and they're high risk. I'm finding the majority of patients coming down with COVID-19 now, particularly young individuals, simply need the virucidal nasal washes, that is using dilute povidone iodine or dilute hydrogen peroxide in acute treatment. We use it every four hours. And then using the OTC, the over-the-counter bundle of the McCullough Protocol. These are all available on the America Out Loud website. You can find the COVID resources. They're right there. And I can tell you, get going on the nasal washes. It reduces the viral intensity. And in patients who are older, who have medical problems, I have no problem 
Moving forward with the Lilly monoclonal antibody, it's safe and effective. It's just a 2cc injection. I have no problem moving forward with Paxlovid, the combination of nelfenpiravir and ritonavir, given over five days. We can add doxycycline to it, uh, oral prednisone, oral colchicine, inhaled budesonide, oral um, aspirin, uh, which is continued for about 30 days, and then in occasional severe cases using underlying blood thinners. I've done that. That's called sequence multidrug therapy, copyright pending the McCullough protocol. Let's get going with treatment America in the world so we don't have another COVID hospitalization and we don't have another death. I recently just checked the COVID tracker numbers. And while at our peak, we had roughly 125,000 Americans in the hospital in January of 2021. Uh, simultaneously, we've had about 10 million hospitalizations overall, uh, cumulative through the pandemic. Our current number in the hospital, around 25,000. Data from Fillmore and colleagues suggest about 45% is completely unnecessary. It's just panic hospitalization. People do not have a low oxygen saturation or any real threat. And I estimate now with a fully developed multi-drug therapy and the mild nature of the Omicron subvariant syndromes, that 95% of all hospitalizations are completely avoidable with early treatment. And we know in a paper by Fazio and colleagues that I'm a co-author on, published in the Medical Monitor, that the first three days is the golden window of treatment. And we get going with uh, our multidrug medical regimens that we are effective. And we get later than three days, then we get behind on this. So I want everybody to pay close attention, particularly those of you who are susceptible. You've never had COVID and you've taken a vaccine and you haven't had COVID, you're equally susceptible in getting the illness. Those of you who've had a well-documented COVID case, it's behind you. It's in the rearview mirror. You have immunity and you have protection against severe outcomes, hospitalization, and death. And the next cold that comes forward, in my view, does not need clinical testing unless there's some contextual circumstances like travel, other groups that are, have COVID, uh, etc. Otherwise, uh, in, in the absence of any other uh, context, one can simply assume it's a common cold. I've done this. Go ahead and start the virucidal nasal washes. Start the uh, OTC component of the McCullough protocol. It applies to the common cold as well, and you'll get through it without having a COVID-19 test. Well, we have a wonderful backside. Let's move on to the backside and hear from Dr. Katarina Kat-Lindley, who spoke on behalf this week of the World Council for Health. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report. It's summertime. It's travel season. I'm going to be traveling too. And I can tell you in my travel bag, will be Cofix RX. Why? Because you're on the plane, you're around a lot of people, public restrooms. You don't know if you have inhaled in that heavy air a virus, a virus or a atypical organism or a bacteria. In fact, we catch various illnesses. Boy, has SARS-CoV-2 brought this to the fore. And whether you've had vaccines, whether you've had COVID, whether you have had a cold recently or not, it could happen and ruin your trip. Get Cofix RX. Make sure that you take it with you. Use it and use it twice a day 
it prevents the onset of these viral illnesses, keeps you safe and protected through your travel stay. Don't get nailed and slammed into a COVID hotel or worse on your travel uh, vacation. It's worth it. It's travel size Cofix RX. Go to America Out Loud website, go to the banner bar and make sure you are armed and ready to travel this season and travel hard. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report. Here on America Out Loud, we emphasize optimal health, and air is the most essential element for life. The average person inhales over 35 pounds of air every day, yet we seldom think about how to rid the air of pathogens swiftly and safely when we need to. The Genesis Fogger Plus HOCL is the only way to quickly and naturally restore air to its optimal condition. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud for a free ebook on everything you need to know about HOCL and receive a 15% discount on the Genesis Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you'll be ready for what's next. People often ask me, Malcolm, how do we fight the corruption? Robert Frost has said it best, freedom lies in being bold. Well, for six incredible years, bold is America out loud. Welcome to the new era in communications, America Out Loud Talk Radio. I want to put in a big word for healthy cell supplements. The GI tract is not functioning normally in long COVID syndrome. I'm convinced of it. There are multiple studies. We need a much better absorbed set of nutraceutical and vitamin products for long COVID syndrome, and that's Healthy Cell. They have an entire line that's safe and effective, uh, can help people through the long COVID syndrome. I found the best way to use Healthy Cell products is use them every day, not on and off, on and off. Take them every day consistently. The Immune Super Boost, Focus and Memory, and the REM Sleep Supplement all have powerful effects in long COVID syndrome. Go to HealthyCell.com and in the promo code, type in out loud for 20% off your first order. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. Because of COVID-19, many Americans worry about their health four times a day. That's 120 times per month. To minimize the worries, leading nutritional supplement company, Healthy Cell created Immune Super Boost, an immune supplement that contains full effective doses of science-backed nutrients like vitamin C, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea, all in a one-a-day pill-free ultra-absorption ingestible gel. It tastes great, comes in a convenient squeeze gel pack, and it's more natural too, without chemical binders, fillers, and coatings. Supporting a strong and resilient immune system can be simple. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of Immune Super Boost. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report. And I'm Dr. Peter McCullough. It's a great pleasure to bring back to the show Dr. Katarina or Kat Lindley. Dr. Lindley has been introduced to our audience previously. She's a practicing physician in Texas. She's been a physician executive leader uh, in the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons and now the World Council for Health, which is the 
probably the largest umbrella organization uh, supporting uh, just dozens and dozens of individual health uh, organizations, pandemic response uh, units worldwide. And the World Council for Health has just come out with a very important notice, a pharmacovigilance report, and then a recommendation for COVID-19 vaccines worldwide. And I've asked Dr. Lindley uh, to come on the show and explain what's transpired. Kat, welcome to the McCullough Report. Thanks for having me, Dr. McCullough. Okay, why don't you set the stage uh, about World Council for Health and how this has all come together? So we realized that uh, we have uh, billions of people in uh, phase three trials with this uh, COVID vaccine rollout and the data from the trial is really not forthcoming. So we looked at the um, official and public databases, WHO, VG Access, CDC, VAERS, Utah Vigilance, and UK Yellow Card scheme to establish safety signals on these novel uh, COVID-19 injections. And when you look at all of these databases, we found that the adverse drug reaction, the ADR reports, are more numerous than for other similar products. So what we saw was a factor between 10 and 169, and many of these ADRs are serious in nature, and uh, obviously there's over 40,000 reported deaths in uh, all of these uh, pharmacovigilance databases. So those are the deaths, the 40,000 deaths have been reported in the databases. Those deaths are solid, right? But the the true, true number of deaths could be much greater if they didn't make it into one of the reporting systems. Exactly, and I think everyone recognizes that every database is underreported. That's uh, that's correct. Now, in the report, um, I noticed there are, are many key figures uh, outlining. Actually, there's a table outlining every single safety database that exists in the world, and then focusing on a couple of the key big ones. What are a couple of the key databases that the uh, the pharmacovigilance report relied on? So uh, we relied on VG Access, which is the WHO da- database user vigilance for uh, EU, UK yellow card, and then CDC bears. And if you break down the um, adverse events by databases, uh, there is many, many um, adverse reactions like we would expect nervous system disorders, uh, musculoskeletal connective tissue, uh, cardiac myocarditis, uh, anaphylaxis, venous thromboembolism, stroke. Uh, so these are all very, very serious reactions that have been reported in all of the databases. And uh, it's over three and a half million of adverse reactions. And like I said, 40,000 deaths. So based on the report that's actually passive reporting, as you know, and underreported to start with, uh, we strongly feel that uh, it behooves the regulators and governments to look at their own uh, databases and recall these products. Has any country done a thorough safety review of their own data, to your knowledge? To my knowledge, no. Uh, as, far, as far as we're concerned, we realize that UK Yellow Card uh, uh, reports are actually probably very good to rely on, but there's no country that actually went back and looked at their own databases and said, there are safety concerns, we need to pull this back. Would you say that countries overall, given the intensity and all the drivers of the crisis, would you say that countries are willfully blind 
to these safety issues? I would definitely say that, especially um, knowing the day we are in today and having FDA actually review the vaccine, uh, the Pfizer application for six months to four-year-old, I would say that especially our own countries ignoring the safety um, data. So when countries and regulatory agencies are willfully blind to a safety issue, there must be some international body of authority that just makes the call and says, we've got to do something. So what was the call made uh, this month from the World Council for Health? Well, our, our call is very simple. We are concerned that we as a grassroots actually have to be the one to ask for this and no one has looked at it, but based on everything that we looked at, based on, based on safety data, on deaths reported, we are publicly asking for the regulators and the countries to uh, pull back the, these uh, experimental vaccines and to review all of their data and make decisions that's right for the people. Right. So it's common when there's something going wrong with the product, whether it be a consumer product, electronics, an automobile, an airplane. Uh, it's common during a point of uh, concern that there's a recall, that the, the products are taken out of public use and things are studied. I think everyone's used to seeing this over time. And in the medical field, uh, we have had hundreds and hundreds of products that have actually been pulled off the market for safety. I recently reviewed two papers on pharmacovigilance that summarizes all the different products that have been pulled off the market. And while there are, is no set standard for this, I can tell you for deaths that uh, it can range from just a handful uh, to some products where you know, in a controversial manner, it would accelerate. And the World Council for Health did a nice job in one of the figures using some other examples of when products were basically pulled off the market for being unsafe. Can you summarize what was in that figure? So yes, we, we, uh, there is a table uh, that's obtained from VAERS and it goes over poly vaccine in 55, swine flu vaccine in 76, and then if everyone remembers Biox, that was recalled in 2004, and there are some others that we have in this figure. Um, polio was pulled back after 10 deaths, swine flu after 53, and Vioxx in 2004, 6,636. Our own uh, VAERS data currently shows 28,312 deaths uh, in COVID-19 vaccines, and we have not recalled this yet. Uh, you know, I always uh, ask, what is this magic number that we're looking for? I would say that we have definitely reached that number at 28,312 deaths. And like we discussed, we, we all think that this is underreported to start with. There seems to be no limit in terms of these, um, you know, these various uh, uh, events, public figures who appear to sustain injuries or, um, or worse, actually, in terms of uh, uh, their loved ones. And without outrage, without ever any remorse, no one seems to be bringing up the issue that, uh, boy, I could have lost my, my loved one, or I could have sustained a, an injury due to the vaccine. Could it be due to the vaccine? It just doesn't seem to come up in, 
in public life. And I wanted to, um, to uh, bring a recent report to everyone's attention. And it's on my uh, Twitter feed. I'll see if I can bring it up here. But uh, it, it just came up that uh, there was a, um, uh, Senator, uh, Senator, um, I'm sorry, U.S. Representative Sean Caston, C-A-S-T-E-N, his 17-year-old daughter has died. And this just was posted in the Chicago Tribune, June 13th, 2022. And it pulls up a tweet from, uh, from Senator Keston on May 17th, uh, 2021. So early on, he said, everyone in Illinois 12 years and older are eligible for the vaccine. They are safe and effective and are, are key to our path back to normalcy. Everyone in my family, including my 14-year-old daughter, has started the vaccine process. Here's how you can get your vaccine. So here, Kasten is coming out very strong for the vaccine, and now he's had one of his daughters die. Uh, while there will be a surge, and there's always a surge for causes of death in young people who die suddenly. Uh, we know the leading cause of sudden death in young people is hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, a abnormally thick heart that's an inherited condition. We screen for it now very aggressively in pre-sports physicals. Uh, I think there are very few cases of sudden death now where we don't uh, uh, you know, know ahead of time that something is wrong. There's even a term being used now called sudden adult death syndrome, sudden adult death syndrome. And uh, uh, to describe uh, basically the premature death of a massive number of people occurring right now, uh, what do you think will be the tipping point? At some point in time, it does have to tip. And where people say, well, wait a minute, it, it was due to the vaccine. We're dying due to the vaccine. Uh, where do you think that point is going to be? I'm not sure exactly because I would have thought that we have reached this tipping point, especially, you know, seeing young, um, uh, not necessarily young, but uh, very uh, fit athletes in uh, uh, UK and Europe uh, on the soccer field who were dropping with chest pain and shortness of breath. And then 15 cases, I believe, on, in Miami Open of tennis stars who couldn't finish the matches. I would have thought that would awaken some people up, but it doesn't seem like that it has. Um, Moderna was approved yesterday. I'm not sure if it's going to be our children. I'm hoping it's not going to be our children. I have five. And um, seeing, we, we all know the story of Ernesto Ramirez and his young son, 16-year-old boy. Um, it's time to wake up. I'm really not sure what they want anymore. And the fact that we're not seeing this obvious causation and we're all ignoring the elephant in the room, even with uh, Justin Bieber and Ramsey Hunt syndrome, you would have think, and his wife having, um, I believe she had a blood clot, uh, you would have thought that people would wake up. It seems like the, the world is in denial, and um, my fear is it's going to be the children that are going to wake everyone up. And I know that parents are going to be the mama bears and papa bears who are going to bring this home and really start asking questions. Um, I would just hope that that happens today and not two months from now, because we're going to lose too many to this. It's uh, clear to so many, you know, a recent New York Times report about two weeks ago on the front page 
had some data and it said that 35% of Americans uh, have not taken a COVID-19 vaccine or are not gonna take a booster. So, you know, that's a third of the country that's dug in now and said, listen, we're, we're just not gonna do it. And uh, it should be clear to parents, if they have a healthy child, giving injections every six months of the genetic code for the potentially lethal Wuhan spike protein it can't make the children healthier. It's impossible to make a human body of a child healthier than what they are in their natural state. I see a real shift towards um, a much more natural, much more uh, holistic uh, movement in medicine. It seems really strong right now. Are you feeling the same vibes? I do. Luckily, I've always practiced that way. I think it comes from my Mediterranean roots and the fact that I'm osteopathically trained. So we were always trained body, mind and spirit. So for me, this is really have been a natural um, way of practicing medicine. But I definitely see that I, I was recently in UK and in UK, this movement is even bigger. There is a huge distrust in uh, medicine, especially allopathic medicine. People realize that medications that they've been given for certain things maybe necessarily were not as needed and we all know that one medication has side effects two has double the side effect three four five you start having all these interactions and people are seeing that if you actually try to have a healthier lifestyle exercise decrease stress all of those things that our moms and dads and grandpa and grandparents just to tell us that those things actually do work and I think people are trying to find uh, the ways of uh, having a healthier life. As far as the vaccines are concerned, I honestly don't think that there are many anti-vaccine people going into all this, but because of this mistrust that we now have with our regulatory agencies, a lot of people who truly believe in vaccines are questioning them. And there's nothing wrong with questioning things and asking, why do I need this? Why do I need that? You know, if someone, even if a regular person off the street just kind of digs down into one of these reports, one of the agencies, uh, WEARS or VG um, Access or whichever, and they do their own research, they'll realize that these numbers are in hundreds of thousands of adverse reactions, and they're not little adverse reactions. Having a child who had a healthy life, used to play sports, now have myocarditis, it's not a little thing or a child developing seizures and now having four to six seizures a day and not being able to go to school. It's not a little thing. We need to stop uh, looking at numbers and we need to realize that every number has a name. And I think if we actually named every single person in these reports, people would realize that these are human beings who are going through this and not numbers. It's true. Attempts to minimize important things like heart damage in myocarditis or blood clots that need blood thinners. I think that is clearly symptomatic of denial. People are denying this. I wanted to get your um, reaction to something that's up on my Twitter feed right now. Uh, you can always go to my Twitter feed at P underscore McCullough MD. And the, the story is coming out of the Alliance for Natural Health International. The title of the story is Severe COVID is Rare in people who did not get the vaccine survey data reveal. And I put here, I think the explanations uh, are the following. One, Omicron is a milder syndrome now. So no matter if you're taking a vaccine or not, it's a milder syndrome, certainly milder than when you and I had COVID. 
Uh, number two, that the unvaccinated are more healthy and fit. I mean, a lot of the people I know have not taken the vaccine. Boy, they've really got their game together. Number three, uh, the unvaccinated are far more in tune with early treatment. They're getting various forms of treatment protocols, McCullough protocol, FLCC, AFLDS, uh, and all the other ones out there. Number four, natural protection is undisturbed by the uh, the Wuhan genetic code that's in messenger RNA vaccines and adenoviral DNA vaccines. We know the genetic code taxes the body. It's found in the lymph nodes for months afterwards. And then the spike protein produced by the genetic code stays in the body easily for over a year. So every six month injections is taxing the body. There's a recent paper out from the NIH showing that the immune response in the vaccinated is actually not as robust as somebody who's naturally immune and gets the infection. Would you agree with that? Yes, I'm actually one of the authors on that uh, article, by the way. But yes, that's exactly exactly what uh, it showed, that uh, uh, people who did not get the vaccine uh, kind of went in with this mindset, uh, we're going to take charge of our life. And as soon as they had any symptoms or things, like you said, they uh, did a protocol, they lived a healthier lifestyle, they moved around, and uh, natural protection was undisturbed, and it's... Uh, superior to any protection by vaccine. So this is a very interesting survey of control group. It's, it's also, Kat, important in the recovery phase. I have a patient now who's um, heavier, he's overweight, he's older, but he's previously very athletic. In fact, he's involved in athletics in a, in a great level in his professional life. And he just messaged me and said, you know, I'm still short of breath and coughing but I'm out there exercising. He's several weeks into convalescence. And in my book, uh, Courage to Face COVID-19, uh, we have in there a chapter from Yvette Lozano. And I know you know Yvette here in Dallas as a as real leader in the pandemic response. Yvette actually had exercise equipment in her office. And as long as people didn't have fevers, she was exercising even acute COVID patients. And one of my very first videos ever made in my life uh, I went jogging on day eight of having COVID-19. I was very short of breath, uh, but I could do it. And I wanted to show the world that we could beat this illness. Uh, YouTube struck that down instantaneously. It was amazing that early in 2020, uh, the powers that were governing censorship on YouTube wanted to remove any hope to the world that we could overcome COVID with health and, and fitness uh, that we could take a positive view on this. Where do you see this going now in terms of uh, the public reaction to the World Council for Health, this 35% of people who've kind of dug in on this and, and can see things clearly? Where do you see it going? Well, um, I just want to make a comment on the exercise and health. And, you know, when I had COVID, I remember calling you, I was one and a half miles into my walk. And like you said, I was a little bit short of breath, but I felt great being in the sun. And that's what I always tell my patients, even if you can just go and do some gardening for 10, 15 minutes at a time, get out and move. And it's very important because our body uh, knows what to do. It knows how to heal itself. And we need to make sure that we utilize everything we can. As far as the report is concerned and people who are um, reading these things and, and understanding what we're trying to say with this report, um, these safety signals have been ignored and it's time for our uh, 
regulatory bodies and governments to actually be accountable and look at their own uh, reporting systems. This is not something that um, they can ignore forever. Um, I would say that people actually, um, you know, if you look at monkeypox, what they tried to do with, uh, with masks, you know, when CDC raised us to level two and said we need masks, people pushed back and said, it doesn't make sense. You're saying that, that this is not a respiratory transmission, but you want us to use a mask. Why would we do that? And CDC had to pull that back off their website. So I would say we need to bring this 35% to 40%, 45, 50, 55, 60, and just go up because people are starting to realize that a lot of the measures, a lot of interventions that the governments are doing in lockdown step, and that's another warning signal as far as I'm concerned. The world has never done everything at the same time without arguing about it. The fact that our governments are somehow collaborating and making these decisions, sorry, it's a warning sign for me. So I would say uh, we just need to keep on educating, speaking out, and bringing people to realize that um, even one number on this uh, database is every each one of them is a person. It's someone's mom, dad, child, and we need to be their voice, and we need to demand for our governments to look at their own data and stop this. And the numbers, the talking point numbers, again, uh, just correct me if I'm wrong, it's 3 million injured worldwide and 40,000 dead. Yes, it's over 3.5 million. So yes, the numbers are huge, and these are underreported number and mm-hmm. over 40,000 deaths based on these four databases that we looked at. Right. The world will will never forget. There's, um, th- there's no doubt about it. And I, I completely agree. The methods b- by which we can get the world back on track is providing a solid, dispassionate, reasonable, positive counter-narrative. So when I go on TV, I don't paint doom and gloom. Monkeypox, bringing people back to the annual number of cases we see, it's a skin rash, it's non-fatal, it's easily treated. The cases we've had in Dallas have been easily managed. It hasn't spread to anyone. I think, honestly, bringing that counter-narrative in the media into uh, public health discussions has actually influenced policy. I think you're right. That's the reason why the CDC did pull back. Now, there's a notice that the World Health Organization is going to actually have an immediate meeting whether or not monkeypox is an emergency. And what we've been able to do so far with monkeypox is get ahead of things on the messaging. It's clear with SARS-CoV-2 and COVID-19, we are behind. And once ever the emergencies and all the announcements and lockdowns happened, it was too late. Uh, Even the Great Barrington Declaration, which was the correct public health move for COVID-19, you know, it came out months too late. And uh, we, if we would have had that in place ahead of, ahead of time, uh, knowing quickly that we could risk stratify on SARS-CoV-2, it's possible we could have shaped the public health uh, narrative. Dr. Lindley, do you have any final words for the McCullough Report audience? Honestly, all I have to say, if they let the doctors do their job from the beginning, if they just let us kind of dig our... Uh, dig deep and and take charge and help people from the beginning we wouldn't be where we are right now the fact that they ignored uh, the need for um, the public to be involved the fact they tried to separate us through fear and all that showed what possibly their agenda was from the beginning but i would say that uh, i am very encouraged by the world's response to what's going on 
people are waking up, people are realizing that boosters are going to do more harm. And, um, it, I, you know, it's really job of uh, people like yourself and myself and others, uh, physicians, scientists, uh, legal minds to keep on telling the truth. You know, the truth is Dr. Robert Bono's, that's my favorite quote, quote, truth is like a lion, uh, let it loose, you don't have to defend it, it will defend itself, and it's true. The truth stands strong despite whatever they throw at us, and we just need to keep on doing what they're doing. Well, I'll let that be the last word. That was a great way to finish. Dr. Lindley, thank you for joining us on the McCullough Report. Thank you. Let's get real, let's get loud on America Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report.